Welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker, and we have with us Jonathan Troyer, the CEO and co-founder of Officium Labs, which is one of the leading customer service experience companies today. On today's episode, we're going to talk about his company, Officium Labs, and the customer service experience industry. If you need help optimizing your customer experiences and boosting sales, reach out to my team now. We offer landing page optimization, SEO, and CRO services to help businesses generate more revenue. For more information, check out my website, shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. What's going on, man? How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for letting me hang out with you. I'm excited to you know, talk with you a little bit and have some fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm pumped, man. I, we, uh, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Um, you have a little bit of a little bit of a history here. You've been you've been doing a little bit of uh, of uh, you've been working hard in the space. You've been in the San Francisco area. You've worked with some huge companies. I don't I don't want to give them all away right now because I think that's you know it's we don't have that much time to to talk about all the big companies you work for. Um, but I can tell there's a reason why you've you've jumped in and the things we're going to be talking about today. You have tons of experience. I would have to say in the space that you're in more experience than anybody else that I've ever interviewed. So if you're a past guest and you're listening to this and you guys are a competitor, I do apologize, but I have to be honest. I've got to be honest with, with what I'm seeing here. So, um, so cool. Tell us a little bit about the company. And I obviously what I like to do, you know, we got the company and we're going to, we're going to talk about that in a hot second, but I really want to get to know you a little bit, like with our audience. And the goal is to kind of like lay a little foundation to understand more about Jonathan, like, where you grew up, all that fun stuff. And then we'll jump into the, the business and the company and what you've built and, and go into all the fun stuff. Sound like a plan? Sounds great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. Let's, let's jump into it. So where did you grow up? So I'm, it's a hard question in the sense that I grew up everywhere. My stepdad was in the military. And so we lived, I think by the time I was 18, 25 different locations. But I think, you know, kind of the high school years, the formative years, you kind of claim that as your state. Yeah. So we lived in Texas at that time, in the backwoods of Texas. He had retired and he was working. And so we kind of lived in Jasper, Texas and Cleveland, Texas. Those are the areas I went to high school. They're kind of deep east Texas. So you're thinking yeah. north of Beaumont. You're thinking northeast of Houston and all that kind of area. So that's kind of where we grew up, the, the 10 kids. So I've got seven sisters and two brothers, and then of course myself. You got a—that's a full family right there. You got it is, it is, yeah, a big family. Did, I can imagine, man. I don't—that's incredible. So ten, I you know it's so funny because we talk about this, and and you, I know we talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast. We have Anderson. Congratulations, yep. you just had a, a baby boy. Um, and I, I and I think at this point you said potentially, you know, this is on the record that maybe this might be the last one. Nothing against Anderson because he's a great yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you're probably looking at this going, I had nine siblings and they're all amazing people. I'm sure. God bless them all. But at the end of the day, it's going to be Anderson. That's what we're there, looking at. There we so go, I, there we go. I totally, totally get that. So um, big family growing up. I can only imagine moving. Like, did you I mean, how does that I because I, for me, it just blows my mind. Anything over two kids. I'm like, and you know, we didn't, you guys didn't have probably like a station wagon or two of them or three. Like, how did that work? Like, I, there's. Well, usually growing up, we always had a 15 passenger van. Uh, so the old, go. there used to be old Ford and Dodge vans in the 80s and 90s uh, uh, that were 15 passengers. So we had those. And then when we moved, you know, you just got to buy a big moving truck. And then you don't have movers because you have 10 kids, right? So yeah. they, they're the labor force. All, all uh, hands on deck. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So what, any interesting facts? I mean, obviously you've moved around a lot from being in a military-based family. Anything interesting else? I mean, obviously than having 10 siblings or nine siblings. 
I mean, I think it's what's interesting is I kind of grew up mostly in the country, right? Even though we moved a lot on military bases, it was, I think the last military base we lived on was when I was 12 or 13, right? Um, and so like 12 to 18, we lived out in the country. And what I always, you know, found interesting is that there, in, the, in that time, and even in this time, there's just not as many opportunities for people that grow up in the country and, and live mm. in rural or rural America, right? Yeah. Or really rule anywhere in the world. And so as I was growing up, I had like this passion for technology. I used to read encyclopedias and almanacs, and I used to read atlases and then draw maps. Anyways, I was just, yeah. just for knowledge kind of kid, right? And then it, it became clear to me, like when I was 13 or 14, I was going to have to leave you know, where I was comfortable in the country or in the rural America, if I wanted to achieve some of these goals and, and these passions. And so when I went to university at BYU, um, you know, I, I that was in Utah. And then when I was in Utah, I was like, okay, if I want to get that big tech job or business job, you know, that I'm going after, I'm now going to have to move, you know, from Utah to somewhere else. And so I went to Seattle, Washington, and London and San Francisco and Boston, all of these tech hubs. I lived in India for a while. So it was it, the biggest thing that I learned when I was a kid is like, if you want to go after the big dreams, I had to leave rural America, unfortunately. That's crazy. And you and you lived in, I mean, you hit all the, not all the tech hubs, but a good amount of them right there. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Seattle and, you know, obviously India. I mean, there's you, you San Francisco. You're, are you, you're currently in San Francisco right now, aren't you? Yeah, we live in San Francisco now for about eight years. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a definitely a tech hub there. My brother lives in San Francisco. Obviously, I'm in Sacramento, so I'm not too far from you. Only about an hour and a half away. So, and you said that you went to school at, at BYU. So, what did you study at BYU? Uh, so I just I studied business management. It, so I was there a couple of years. So I I worked full time to pay for school. So I worked at a company called Convergis. Uh, it's a call center company. Uh, and then about halfway in, I got this amazing opportunity to leave school of my sophomore year to go work for Microsoft in Seattle as a forecast analyst. Um, that, that's what I did at Convergis. And so I so I quit school halfway in. I was like, I'm gonna go and work for Microsoft. This is back in the 90s or, or early 2000s, right? And you know, I eventually finished school with University of Phoenix because that was one of the requirements for my wife when we got married is I'm gonna marry you, but you have to finish that degree because she knew I wasn't that passionate about it. So I eventually I did finish that, but my career really blossomed from Microsoft forward. And I I kind of look at my school as the last 25 years of work. That, yeah. That's my education. That's my PhD. That's it. I look at it the same way. And so I, I found this kind of as a shocking fact. So your dad didn't pay for college. You didn't want to pay for all 10 kids to go to college at the same time. <laughs> no, no, no. When you're in a big family, you kind of got to take care of yourself there. No, that makes sense. No, I, I was in a, a smaller family and I paid for my college. And my, my mom's like, you're going to appreciate it more if you pay for it. And I was like, I feel like you're just not going to pay for it because you're copping out. She goes, no, it'll make sense later on. I'm like, okay, I, I guess so. It's one of those long-term lessons. Yeah. Um, so your first job out of college was with a company called Microsoft. I have absolutely yep. heard of them. I think they're pretty big last time I checked. Um, and so you worked and you were, how long were you in Seattle for? So it was in Seattle... It was a few years, probably about three or three or four years. And then uh, I got an opportunity to be the director of outsourcing at monster.com in Boston. Um, they hadn't outsourced up to that point. And so I came in and launched their outsourcing division. And I worked there for a few years. And then, you know, everyone kind of has a different, you know, kind of career approach. But I always wanted to become a CEO someday. That was my goal that I set when I was 21. I built out a 20-year plan 
when I was 21. And at the end of it was 41 being a CEO amongst other personal goals as well. And so I was, I was, a, I think it was VP senior director at Monster. And I realized I had this 360 and I realized that I had this huge gap in people management, you know, emotional quotient, those EQ, those types of things. Yeah. So I actually decided to take a step back and go find people that were really great people leaders and take demote what people would say is demotion in my career. And I worked like business manager, you know, you know, kind of vendor manager, these other type of roles that weren't, you know, senior director, VP. So I could learn from these, these master craftsmen of EQ and, and people management like Mark Witten and Mark Honeycutt at Microsoft. And so I did that for five years. And then after, after I felt like, okay, I've got my training, I'm going to go back out to the world again and try to be a really great people EQ focused leader as well as the other stuff. Um, and then I then I joined Semantic when I was there in the UK as, as their senior director. So the thing that blows me away that if, if you say a five-year plan to people, some people get glossy eyed and they'll avoid yeah. the conversation. You had a 20-year plan. So you're like, no, I'm I've like literally got this figured out. This is what my on my board and this is what I'm doing. And needless to say, you, you hit your goal. Yeah, I mean, I so the way that I segmented my 20-year plan out is there was kind of personal, which is I wanted to buy a house, you know. Then there was personal, was like I wanted to get married, I wanted to have a kid. And then there was professional, like I had all of these, in those days, when you're in your 20s, you care about money and titles, um, less so now. But so I had all these titles and then all this money that was attached to those titles. But I did make sure like that those titles were in different departments so that I could figure out how to be a well-rounded CEO when I got there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had this goal and when I was 21 and I did it, I did set it out. You know, I, I, I started my own company, CEO at 41 Officium Labs. Um, I, I have a wife, I have a kid. I finally bought a house, um, you know, when I was in my upper thirties. And so all of those things came to be. And now I tell my wife, I have to think about the next 20 years, but we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. No pressure. You just got to plan out the next 20 years. That should take a weekend. Nothing too crazy, go, right? Yeah. You've already got to figure it out in your head. You just got to get it on the board. So tell us, tell us about the company here, because obviously you're the, the CEO and co-founder. Um, how did you how did you come up with the idea? Like, tell us a little bit about that. So I've been in the services arena for 20 years, right? You know, kind of what I see is a, every company I would go to, I would fix the broken service experience that they have. And so it occurred to me, if you look at Sarv.com, roughly the $339 billion is lost a year because of poor customer service, poor customer experience for brands globally. And then you look at most, most companies have like a small internal team and then they have a large kind of outsource team, a VPO is what they call it. Mm -hmm. And and that industry is about $230 billion-ish this year or next year. And I said, somebody needs to go in there and disrupt that. And so, and, and figure out how do, how do you build best-in-class customer experience that not only that doesn't get high CSAT or, or high MPS, but actually delivers ROI. And how do you do it in a flexible and a nimble way? So the cost structures aren't difficult for these companies. And so my co-founder Scott and I, we walked through the streets of San Francisco and we said, let's let's solve this problem and let's do it now. So a couple of years ago, we were working inside of a country, a company called Forte Labs. It's a blockchain gaming platform company. We you know, the CEO is all into decentralization. And so we, we talked to him one day and I said, hey, man, why don't you let us spin out from the company? Give us seed money, about $150,000, and let, let us go disrupt, you know, the CX, the CS industry. And he said, okay, 
give it a go and, and see what you can do. And two years later, you know, gross revenue, we just hit 10 point, I was looking at the time, we just hit 10.3 or 10.5 million this month, right? In the two years. So we went from $150,000 loan to 10 million in less than two years with 30 clients with three different sectors. And basically what we thought was like, hey, let's try this out and see if our ideas resonate. Like, is there a market fit, right? Um, and so we tried it out and in the first two months we were profitable. Um, then we're like, okay, well, let's lean into this. And that's what we've done the last two years. And it's just been super successful. People want change. They want a better, better customer experience and they want experts that have been doing it for 20 some odd years to help them craft that. The customer experience to me seems so archaic when you have these companies out there that, I, and I know it firsthand because you call them and the, the things that you like, the, the, the systems that they have in place, it's just incredible to me. Like the fact that you guys are disrupting this doesn't shock me that it's absolutely needed because I, I you know, I, I deal with this not as much as you do, obviously, because you have a company that deals with, with customer experience, but I definitely have, you know, things that I've gone through when I'm talking to companies and it's like, mm -hmm. this is like so broken, you know, and you talk to the people and they're like, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm like, well, there is something you can do. You just don't have the power. You don't have the knowledge. And so that's where we, we have this disconnect. Like we're going to spend that's more right. time on trying to acquire people and less on taking care of the people that are currently paying their bills, right. That, are, right. that are, that are giving you a call. And so it's, it's really interesting to me. It's this you know, we understand the concept of it's so much easier to, to keep a customer than to go grab a new one. And so That's what right. are you doing to keep them happy? And it's really weird to me that big, big companies, they, they, they just sometimes don't get that. And I get it that you're, they're big and it's hard to pivot and move, but it's like at the end of the day, and the thing, what I love about what you said earlier is you said, hey, listen, I've got this big title, I've got this, but really there's some pieces that I'm missing right? Because you need to be on the ground level and better understand that and understand what they're going through. And you went through and went through all those, you checked all those boxes and said, hey, I'm going to go down a few steps. And people go, why would you do that? And you're like, well, because it's, I, I want to be able to understand what they had to go through, right? And what they're going through and that, that process. Yeah. And yeah. I love that. And I think a lot of people wouldn't do that because they would go, well, I already made it to that point. Why would I, in theory, go back? Like, what's yeah. the point of that? But for you, because I know that I had a company Long story short, at a company, we were 25 million in two years, kind of similar to what you guys got going on. And I, there was huge, there was certain some bad stuff online. And I started looking at these things and I'm like, what's going on here? Well, I realized I was out of touch with customer service, hmm. right? We're making decisions up top, right? And, but I'm not talking to the customer service guys and gals and saying, hey, what do we got going on? And so what I did, the same thing as I'm sure you would have done is I jumped on the calls. Said, hey, That's what right. do we got going on? And you, of course, I should have been doing that way before that. But you know, you got 10 million things going, and we're opening mm -hmm. offices, mm -hmm. and crazy things are happening. But I'm like, whoa, I'm I'm like messing up here in a major way. Like customer services, either I didn't train them correctly, or you know, whoever at that time was doing the training. Like, you need to go in and really fix this because there's bad reviews, and that's either a you know, either past customers yeah. or people that just don't like you. But it's like, why is that? If there, you start to see these common things that are coming up, you got to go in and fix that. And so you guys are talking about how do you make this flexible? How do you make it feasible for everybody and for them to all have good customer service, which is like, it seems very like no duh, but you guys are doing it. And that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. We have three main kind of product lines. The first one is called Connect. And you could kind of think of it as like the Uber of customer service because we have on-demand customer service professionals around the globe that can plug and play hour by hour for our clients. We have a lot of gaming clients, but as well as other clients. Our second one is called Transform. And that's when we go in and we actually help companies transform to become best in class, to deliver that ROI and to drive that value that, I mean, if you think about it, you buy products because you love them. 
So when you go to services, you just want to get back to what you love, which is your product. So you just want, hey, arm me with what I need to get so I can go back to what I love because you built this great product for me, right? And that gets, you know, that falls between the chairs as companies get bigger. And then our last one is innovate. And that's really our lab space where we, we, we focus on, well, what's the next, what's the idea that's going to be new in five years and 10 years? What's that thing that we need to start thinking about now? doing the R&D investment, you know, the testing and so forth. So we can then roll it out in, in the next few years. I love that. So you guys are saying, hey, we're disrupting things. You obviously have a, a crazy, insane little nice hockey stick growth model that's going well for you guys. And now you're saying, hey, now what is the next five or 10 years going to hold, right? Next 20 years. Um, and I'm going to, I kind of want to touch on that here in a little bit, because that's one of the things that I always like to find out, like, like, what is the end game? Like, what are you guys looking at yeah. here? I mean, you guys obviously are building this thing up, the sky's the limit. You guys are in what, three different you know, industries, obviously can break outside of that because once you guys have the model, it's like pretty much plug and play for most industries, right? As long as it's not yeah. dealing with, you know, attorneys or something like that, where there's going to be, you know, or SEC or something like that, it's just customer service of like, you know, taking care of the 80% of the questions that come through that anybody can answer as long as they're trained up correctly. What, what is the end game? So what are you guys doing here? You guys got more in R&D stuff, which I love to hear. You guys are innovating, getting good stuff going there. Like, what, what are you looking at here? Well, I, I can't share all the details, but what I can say is that <clears throat> I think the future of service, and this may be 10 years out and maybe 20 years out, it's all going to depend on the natural progression of natural lang language um, kind of bots and so forth. But I, I did a a kind of a pitch when I was in Finland a couple of years ago about a 2025, 2030 idea. And I said, if, if you ever watch Marvel, if you know who Jarvis is, imagine Jarvis for customer service for every product that you own. And that's, that's the future where service needs to go. And, and not only because you want instantaneous questions getting answered, you want help, you want everything on the back end just to work for you, yeah. But think about it from this perspective. If you decide on January 1st that you're going to go on a diet, right? Oh, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Person A makes that decision. Person B makes that decision and buys a dog. Which person is still going to be walking and probably losing weight in six months? Yeah. Probably going to be the person with the dog because they have a companion. Now, translate that to Jarvis of customer service is your in-game companion, in-product companion, your new friend, you know, you're going to see a lot more product stickiness, product adoption, if they feel like they have a relationship with whoever the services team is, whether, whether it's Jarvis or whether it's somewhere in between. And that's really the secret sauce there is don't commoditize your service team, leverage your service team to become revenue generators and help them to have the power, as you mentioned, the autonomy, the authority to really engage and, and help these customers get back to what they love. And when you do that, you transform the thinking of your product teams, of your sales teams, of your marketing teams, as well as you transform the thinking of your customers, which is, I think is the critical component. So as you think about R&D in the next five or 10 years, you're thinking about products and services that fall down that pathway. And there's a lot of different potential applications that I won't share because we're thinking about them, but imagine those types of applications. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense, right? I mean, it really comes down to that, that personalization and the fact of like everybody, the thing is, is you know, it's, it's, you, it's funny when you talk about products and you talk about things that, you know, that 
what I'm trying to think of like my mom as an example, like we'll, we'll say, oh, something about a company and she'll say, oh, their customer service is great. Like that's usually something that, and that's where people are having a good experience with customer service or you have other companies, which there's 10 I could think of right now that are all big. I'm not going to slam them here on the podcast, but that you yeah. go, oh my God, I got to give them a call. It's like, oh geez, like I'll give you one yeah. DMV. Like DMV out of California, probably, I don't know if it's DMVs everywhere, but everybody goes, I got to go to the DMV. And it's like, oh my God, I got to go to the DMV. Yeah. Like why? Yeah. Now they're better. They got their little numbers system, but still at the end of the day, there's just these horror stories. Like one that just happened with my mother that she went in to go do something and they're like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. And it's like, well, it was in regarding registration. And so she's like, well, I yeah. sent in the registration. Like literally you guys, you guys cash my check. So you received it. And then she's like, I don't know. That's not us. It's like, well, hold on. But you guys, and she goes, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. It's like, well, hold on. What do you mean? There's like, but you cash my, you're like DMV. Like, so where do I go? Well, you got to yeah. go back. It was East coast. And oh, you got to yeah, go yeah, yeah. get the pink slip again. And it's like, no, you, how, how is this my fault? Like I'm confused. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's yeah. like well, huge disconnects. A lot of companies as they grow, they don't think about how the customer journey branches. And so what they do is they, they try to optimize for the branches, but they don't connect the branches back together to have a unified experience. And I think that's what we find is the companies that are forward thinking, whether even whether they're startup companies or midsize or large companies, they have to bring those branches back together. So it feels like it's a unified experience for the customer, even if the back end is a little bit all over the place. You know, the bed, as long as the bed is made nicely underneath, it's not as important on how you make that bed made nicely for the customer. It's the, it's I had an old boss, he used to say, you're always on stage, perception is reality, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't know when the curtains open. So yeah. you got to make that unified experience for the customers and on the back end, figure it out as a company. And I think that's it, it's that omni-channel, right? That experience yeah. of coming in from all angles and making that happen. And I think that's where a lot of people, I mean, they, it's hard for them even to do it just in one channel, let alone omni-channel, you know, through yeah, yeah. chatbots yeah. or through, you know, phones. Or Thanks listeners. I hope this helped you learn how Officium Labs is helping businesses serve their customers better and how you can make the most out of their services. On my next episode, we'll talk in more detail about customer experience, tips and tricks, and the ROI it delivers. So stay tuned to the Marketing Growth Podcast.